everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Jen Hatmaker is here, and I am your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show, you guys. Um, So right now we're in a series called For the Love of Good Change. So look, it's not the normal like new year, new you business. I'm so not into that. Like if if I'm going to make a change, I want it to come from a place of intention, not shame. Uh, So in this series, I'm talking to experts who come alongside of us in numerous ways to help us examine our thoughts and behaviors and help us shape the way we look at ourselves and interact with the world. Um, Every single guest I've talked to has lit a fire under me in the best possible way. I I cannot say this enough. If you've not listened to this series, I beg you to go back, start at the beginning and listen to the whole thing. Um, Really phenomenal conversations, um, combating this horrible idea of do better and be better and try harder. Just um, there's just no shame in this at all. It's very like healthy and productive and nurturing. And so uh, I hope that you are enjoying it as much as I am. I'm super delighted by today's guest. Um, a lot of you probably already know him. He's a friend of mine. His name is John Acuff. So you might know him as the New York times bestselling author of six books. And for more than 20 years, I guess at this point, John has helped some of the biggest brands in the world tell their story. Home Depot, Staples, um, Bose, Dave Ramsey team. It just goes on and on and on. And so he speaks to hundreds of thousands of people around the world every year. Um, and he's just this really clear voice of encouragement, um, helping individuals or corporations or companies or nonprofits sort of imagine their goals and examine them. And then he equips them with the tools to reach for them. And, um, you've probably seen a ton of his hilarious tweets cause he's really, really, really funny. We talk about that a little bit. Um, and back in the day, if your intro to John may have been what mine was, which was when he started the sort of runaway online hit called stuff Christians like, I mean, I'll link it on the transcript page so you can go back and see some of his best archived writing. Hysterical if you grew up in Christian subculture. Um, So he's just this treasure trove of wit and good ideas and good counsel and healthy practices. I knew he would be an amazing guest for this series because last year he released a, a pretty phenomenal book. I read it cover to cover when it came out. It's called Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. Isn't that a great title? Um, Doesn't it make you kind of feel relieved? If you are a living, breathing person, chances are you've probably started a thing or two and at some point thrown in the towel because doing things is hard. So what I love about John is that A, he is a very funny person. um, And you know how I like jokes. B, his advice is so straight to the point and practical. um, You'll just, you'll find yourself like, reaching for your pen to take down notes. It's, and it's not a chore. It, he makes this fun. In fact, we talk about how to build fun into sort of these sort of works as we set goals and reach for them. And, um, they just, he just makes all very, very doable. So if there's a little project tucked into a drawer or in the back of your closet or in the back of your mind, this conversation, I promise you, it will help you dust it off and polish it off polish it up and put it sort of into practice. Um, you're going to want to stay for the whole thing. Some of his very best advice is toward the end of this, um, entire conversation. So I'm so pleased to share my conversation with author and speaker and friend, John Acuff. John Acuff, my friend, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm happy to have you on here. Um, one thing that some, folks may know about me and you and some don't is that we are Twitter compatriots when it comes to live tweeting live events. That's what we do. Well, it's our skill set. Definitely. I took the golden globes off um, because I've just, I've had so many interactions with globes these last few years. And I was just like, it's enough. Um, I was, I'm in a sphere place. So, but I'll definitely be around for the Grammys. Um, so that's what I'm working on. 
I can appreciate those boundaries. It does run its course. It yeah. does. Um, I will give you, though, that the Grammys does, it feels like it gives us fresh opportunity. There's just always something a little bit new and wild. Um, there's always some artists that I've never heard of. They're, they're I'm going to say, between like 16 and 18 years old. Um, and so there's always, it feels and they like might new be content. huge. They might be like the, <laughs> like the biggest right. group from Korea you've never heard of. That's right. And you go, That's who's right. BTS? And people go, are you an idiot? <laughs> totally. You don't live in South Korea, you monster. It's so true. It's they've outsold Beyonce and we don't even know. We just don't even know. <laughs> so cool. Good on them. Um, I thank you for indulging me in a little bit of live tweeting talk. I appreciate that because, um, we share it. Uh, so look, I've I've told our listeners about you a little bit and what you do. A lot of them follow you already, of course. A few years ago, you wrote another book called Start, um, which by virtue of really clever naming and titling helps people begin to do something. Um, did you know when you first start, when you wrote Start, that you were going to write a book called Finish? Uh, no, I had no idea. I'm not, I'm not that smart. Um, ah. I think that when you are on the outside of a book process, you think like it was so calculated and deliberate, uh, it was brilliant. Yeah. And then you go, Oh, wait a second. Like, no, it was it, it, like life generated. I think the best books that I get to write are ones where I have an issue in my own life. I try to honestly solve it or at hmm. least like deal with it. Maybe not eliminate it. When people go, how'd you get rid of fear? I go, I, I haven't. It's there right. every day. I think it's about managing it and, and living with it versus like eliminating it. I think one of the worst things we do is think we'll be rid of our anxiety. Like if mm -hmm. you want to hate your life, think that there's a thing you can do someday to be perfectly anxiety free for the rest of your life. Like, oh my gosh, that, that goal cripples so many people. But so I said, wow, I'm not good at finishing things. And then I had mm -hmm. all these kind people that would say, I read Start, it was encouraging, I liked it, it helped me, but how do I finish? I can yeah. start a million things, I have a million exercise programs, I, right. you know, I have 50 URL domain names, I have 10 half-finished fi books, how do I actually finish? And that's where I said, wait a second, there's a need and I'm, there's actually a curiosity on my end. Um, I love that. And so that was the impetus, was really sort of, your your personal experience plus your listeners' experiences um, from start, which is also incredibly useful too, by the way. So one thing that I really love about Finish, um, and I read it last year, is one of the first things you do is basically tell us to um, get over ourselves, which I appreciate that, to breathe mm -hmm. and to just sincerely embrace the fact that nobody is perfect. In fact, you kind of beat the perfection drum over and over throughout the book. And I really think you're onto something there. And I know inside the community of women, this is a real thing. Like, it seems like learning how to like, not just tolerate, but even sort of embrace imperfection. In to your point is the key to finishing. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about that and, and even how this advice can apply particularly to, to perfectionists? Yeah, so I think that perfectionism is so dangerous because it's a poison that, dis that like it disguises itself as a vitamin. It's the kind of thing when somebody goes, what's your worst you know, characteristic in a job interview? They go, I can be a bit of a perfectionist. Totally, you know, like, right. I give too much. And right. so that's why it's so deceptive. Like nobody goes, line's a good trait. But we kind of think like it, it just means you get a lot done and you're really t on top of things and you're detailed and you're organized. But I think it's a lot crueler than that. Um, an example of a perfectionist is someone who will say, you know, I'm going to run three miles every day, but I only have time for two today, so I'm going to do zero. Hmm, like, you're great a perfectionist example. would rather get a, a zero than a C minus. Hmm. And so I think that's really toxic regardless of your goal. Um, and then the other thing, like when you say, okay, well, how does it apply to people outside like that don't struggle with perfectionism? I would argue more and more people do because for the first time in the history of mankind, we have access to so many people pretending to be perfect. Like, totally. I, I go back and say, my mom, Libby Acuff, in the 1980s when we lived in Hudson, Massachusetts, as a pastor's wife, couldn't compare her motherhood to a mother in Seattle, Washington, or a mother in Austin, Texas, because she didn't know they existed. Totally. Harrison said of five people on her cul-de-sac. Now, in 30 seconds, you have everybody. 
And mm -hmm. so I think that's the real challenge is that we're all exposed to it and it cripples us before we begin and then it makes us stop and it makes us feel terrified. Like I like mm -hmm. your approach to for the love of change because my approach to that is any change that starts from a deep place of shame will never be sustained. Totally. Like if you start from I'm a broken, terrible person yeah. and, and I have to change this thing or I'll remain a broken, terrible person, you'll never engage in the beauty of change and the messiness of it and you'll beat yourself up. And the other thing is you have to hear that over and over and over and over again because you've heard the opposite over and over and over again. Um, so that's that's why for me, perfectionism is it's something I definitely struggle with. Um, it's something that, you know, I was, I had dinner with uh, some friends last night and a mother there said, oh, I was reading um, so, something that somebody wrote on Facebook about the things you shouldn't do with your daughter. And I've already failed at so many of them. And she was saying, you shouldn't uh, say the word carbs. You shouldn't say the word diet. You shouldn't. And it was this huge list that was meant to encourage, but only discouraged. Totally. As much as that like that we have for that and that I can be honest in the reverse and come up with tools like that was my favorite part of finish was that I hired a PhD researcher from the University of Memphis and we studied 900 people for six months. And so I was able to say this isn't because I think this will help. This is what we saw in the study, and here's why it's challenging, and here's a real-life example, but here's the science behind it to actually give you a big enough baseball bat to beat back perfectionism. That was really compelling, the research component and how thorough your investigation was and all the evidence that kind of supported your work. I, I mean, I just found it honestly useful from beginning to end on, on virtually every single page. You just mentioned that you have experience um, battling with perfection. Um, I do too, actually. Please indulge me just asking this quick question. Do you do the Enneagram? What's your number? I'm seven. I'm a oh, seven you're on the Enneagram. seven. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm a three. Everybody thinks I'm something else. Everybody thinks I'm a three. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's just because I'm really good at trying to make people like me. And so huh. I just look like whoever I think the room needs me to be. That's why I'm working on stuff because I'd rather just be me. It, like being like somebody that. else is exhausting. It sure is. Well, and to your earlier point, we now have more rooms than ever that we are expected to enter and charm. You oh, know, if once yeah. upon a time that was just your real life, like whoever you actually live with and live by, um, now that is an infinite amount of audiences to win over. Um, and so for an actual three like me or a shapeshifter like you, it's tiring. Yeah. Yes. Uh, can you, oh, we're going off the grid real quick just because you, you mentioned that. Um, we're going to come back because I had a question that I was about to start, but so you said, just to your point, you said, this is why I'm doing some work. Can you, can you just unpack that for us a little bit? What does that mean? Yeah. So I'm doing some work and going, okay, when I have a reaction to something to stop and look at the reaction, to be aware of the reaction and go, well, where's this coming from? And what does it really mean? So, um, you know, if I see an insult immediately in a situation, why did I see an insult there? What am I afraid of? Mm. I, I heard somebody say, Anger is more often born of fear than anything else. And so what am I afraid of losing when I got angry there? Like, what am I, you know, why did I beat my, you know, why did I think that because I was 10 minutes late to start my day, the whole day's ruined? Like, where did that come from and why do I believe it? And more importantly, how do I rewire that? Like, what is that? I, I just got really convicted. I was listening to um, Brian Koppelman, who's a friend of mine, and Seth, Seth Godin do an uh, interview on Brian's podcast, The Moment. And Seth talked about a failure he had early in his career. It was a really tough failure. And Brian essentially said, well, how did you rewrite those negative voices in your head? And Seth said, I didn't. I just replaced them. And he said, I replaced them with Zig Ziglar's voice. And Brian was hmm. like, what do you mean? And he said, I had 40 hours of Zig Ziglar tapes. And I listened to them 100 times over and over because I couldn't I, – I had to rewire it. And I thought that was really wow. fascinating. So for me – it's the first step is being aware of the like the voice I'm hearing and then being willing to kind of unpack it and deal with mm -hmm. it and grow it. And and that's that's fun for me. And so when I get to invite people into that and go, hey, here's this tool like it's not going to make you perfect and you've got to adapt it to your own personality and it's not one size fits all. But here's what I learned and here's what I thought was was helpful. I think you'll like it, too. Um, it gives other people the chance to kind of, one, realize it's not them. Like perfectionism, one of its favorite lies is that you're the only one. 
Like mm. everyone else has it. Like yeah. they, they actually are perfect. You're just faking it. Like, and so. Mm. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. When you share other people go, okay, I'm not the only one. And then you get a tool that you can say, I'm going to try this on for size. Um, I, that's really, really fun to me. I would say an example of that. So I think men and women both struggle with this is what they call the ascendancy narrative or the mm -hmm. ascendancy fallacy, the belief that the next thing will be bigger than the last thing. Oh, and yeah. somebody the other wow. day asked me about how do you not compare yourself to other people? And I gave them an answer and it was probably rambling. But then sure. I realized <laughs> equally important, if not more, is comparing yourself to yourself. Because That's what great. happens is you compare yourself to either a fictional version of you that doesn't exist yet and you feel shame because you're falling short. Totally. Um, or you compare yourself to the best win you've ever had. My wife always talks about how she wonders sometimes if I ever got over the explosion of Stuff Christian liked. So Stuff Christian's like was this blog. It took off. You know, Thousands of people read it on day nine. And it's really tempting for me to compare whatever project I do against the biggest project. And if you want to cripple your creativity before you've begun, totally compare it to the most successful thing you've ever done. And it, the next thing just has to be bigger. Hmm. And so being willing to engage in it and not put that rule on its success is really helpful. And that's the kind of messy work you get to do when you like, and that's why a goal is bigger than a goal. Like I always say like a goal is a promise you've made to yourself. And that's why there's an emotional component of it. I mean, we have 50,000 diet books. It's not like right. there's not new body parts that got invented in the last that's five right. years that were like, well, it's the triple elbow. That's the thing. <laughs> oh my that's gosh, I haven't even totally. worked out my triple elbow. <laughs> and so it's not a lack of information. It's a lot of other things. And that's what I like to explore. Yeah, that's really good work. And, you know, I'm thinking through, I, I very much subscribe to that devastating theory of ascension. Um, I don't mean to. But I'm a little bit like you in my work. I'm thinking it through as you're talking and going back to your initial um, antidote, which is that replacement idea, because I have that really mean voice that rattles around in my head all the live long day. I mean, I'm constantly worried about the thing I'm working on, that it is going to fill, fall flat in some way that I've already prescribed. Um, and But the replacement idea is interesting. Um, not just a, not just attempting to silence that voice, but rather do an overlay with with a better, stronger, wiser, kinder voice. I I think that is really incredibly wise. Who are you listening to right now that is is sort of feeding your better angels and your better nature? Yeah, well, I mean, one is um, my pastor. Love my pastor, Kevin Queen. Um, and, and that's one of the voices. Another is um, The War of Art. So every, like a million people have read The War of Art. It's an amazing book by Stephen Pressfield, but I didn't understand there was an audio book of it. And so mm. this really kind of magical thing happened. There's, there's a book series called Longmire um, mm -hmm. by yeah. a guy named Craig Johnson. And the books yeah. are amazing. They're so beautifully written. And the audio books are performed by this guy, George Goodell. I think I pronounced his name right. And he okay. is a master. And the, the books are beautifully written and there's literature woven it out and it's still like this interesting kind of mystery. And I didn't, so I went to go get the uh, War of Art book because Seth Godin had mentioned like, go find that book, listen to it 10 times. And I went and I found it and it's read by George Goodell. <laughs> and so Great. it's my favorite narrator mm. reading one of my favorite books. And so, and again, this is all an experiment. One of the ways you kill perfectionism is you experiment and you go, I'm going to try it without the expectation that it'll solve everything. And so yeah. I'm going to this year, if I had to guess, I'm going to listen to that audiobook at least 12 times. I and like it's that. only two and a half hours, but mm -hmm. to have that idea and that encouragement. So the, the PhD that I work with, this guy named Mike Peasley, we met this week to talk about not the next book, but the book after because the research okay. is kind of long. And we, one of the things we tested recently that was interesting was the importance of outside inspiration and how important that is. And I think sometimes when you're, when you're trying to change your life, one of the lies is you should be able to do this on your own. Like to need outside influence is weak. You're not noble. You're not like, you shouldn't have to trick yourself. You should just do this stuff automatically. And so what we found, at least in this first study was no, the people who are good at seeking and building and, and relying on that inspiration perform better over time. And so for me, 
the lie is listening to, you know, the lie is I can stop my negative voice and just go, let's buck up. Let's pull That's our right. bootstraps up. The truth is, you know what? I've tried that for like 43 years. Like it's like, I've got evidence that doesn't work for me. So let me try an experiment. Like, let me fill my head with a different voice, a true voice. Like I'm not out there seeking like idiots for advice, but let me, you know, let me try that. Let me see if that encourages me. And, you know, and let it not just be one voice. Let it be, you know, um, like I'd listen to the Brian Koppelman, Seth Godin podcast more than once, like, cause it's so full of heart. Um, I'll listen to the war of art. I'll listen to my pastor, you know, I'll, I'll seek out multiple voices, but I won't try to go. If John Acuff was a better person at growth, I could just make myself grow. I just, the longer I live, the less I believe that's true. I agree with you. And I appreciate that because there definitely is, um, sort of an idea out there that just, uh, has a lot of momentum that is sort of just dig deep right? There's something, um, something that you should just be doing on your own. If you care enough, if you try hard enough, if you, um, are serious enough, if, uh, and it's, it's a little bit debilitating, just this idea that we are supposed, we supposedly contain all that's necessary, um, you know, for any of our work in the world or any, um, sort of space that we're moving into. I actually really appreciate your, your research on that that the opposite is actually true, that we need teachers and we need leaders and mentors and people who inspire us and pull us forward. That's absolutely been true in my life and is to this living day. Another thing that you have done that I love, um, speaking of battling perfectionism, is that you've done a couple of um, stand-up sets for the first time I've been watching you. And I'm just tickled to death. Obviously, stand-up comics are known for, I mean, that is vulnerable. That really is brave because they get slammed pretty directly, pretty ruthlessly, or at least they could. Um, so how did that go? And can you, can you say, why did you do this? And how did you work up the courage for this? Um, how did you set aside this is, I'm going to do this perfectly. Um, and, and what have you, what are you learning thus far? Well, I mean, I, I've said I was going to do it for 10 years and didn't. So one, I'd say if you've been saying forever you're going to write a book, that's okay. Like, welcome to the party. The, the, <laughs> water, the water's great. Sure. Um, so the kind of the thing that triggered it was I went and saw a huge comedian, and I didn't think his opener was good. And I thought, I can do that. I can like, do let it. me try yeah. that. Um, and so I then I had my assistant find a venue, and Nashville's biggest uh, comedy club is this place called Zany's. And we said, hey, can we come do a show? And it ended up selling out two nights in like wow. 72 hours, which was awesome. Um, sure was. But it ended up being this creative kick in the butt that I needed to get out of a funk. Um, writing a 60-minute comedy set was really hard and really challenging. And and there's things I'd do differently. Um, I would say that like I like anything else, and I'm you know you learn to kind of look at this and and roll it around. I thought after it'd be like this huge like oh my gosh all these phone calls like the expectation is interesting <laughs> oh, yeah. that I had, <laughs> um, but I I think that it also it taught me how to write again and write with oh, a voice I really like um, because it's so easy to write with somebody else's voice. Sure, but like writing like my favorite one of my favorite ideas was about how is a flight attendant supposed to prove that a dog is an emotional support animal? And so I did this <laughs> thing where I bent down and I imagined like the flight attendant doing role play with the dog and being like, oh. okay, come here, Rusty. Your owner had a terrible day. Got passed over promotion because she's a woman. Glass ceiling, Rusty. She's dating a man, but he's like a 14-year-old th- in a 34-year-old's body. He's great at Fortnite. You know what he's not great at? Listening. I want you to tell her, you know, I want you to tell her, Rusty, she's enough. And the dog's like, hey, here's the thing. If I throw up, I also eat that throw up. That's what I'm about. <laughs> so I will support her unless I see free throw up on this plane, and then I am out. Oh, so my then, God. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. And then I related that to every time I see a sticker that says my honors, my dog is smarter than your honor student. I want to yeah. say, where did you go to high school? Like how back <laughs> with your totally. honors program? Have you ever heard somebody say? Our honor students are amazing, but if they hear fireworks, they lose it. We have to get thundershirts <laughs> on them right away. Kyle is great at calculus, but if he gets a problem he's really excited about, he urinates every. <laughs> and so, like, I didn't sleep for like two or three days. When you give a speech, one of the emotional roller coaster kind of hills is when the crowd is laughing. 
Yeah. And that might happen like three, maybe maybe even ten times an hour-long speech. Let's say it was right. great. That is the expectation that will happen 50 times in a comedy. Yeah. So imagine the adrenaline, endorphins, dopamine, whatever the word meaning like feel good is. That was really interesting. And there's a bunch of stuff. It challenged my public mm-hmm. speaking um, and taught me a lot. But, yeah, it was, it was really fun. I know – I also know like it's not going to be my career. And like sure. it, I felt like this great gift of like, okay, I've tried that. Like – um, like that there, I checked that off the box. It'll be so neat to kind of watch and see how that experiment affects some of your other work in every way, the way that you deliver oh, yeah. a talk. It's, yeah. It's totally impacting my next book. So I, yeah, I, in a great way and I'm excited yeah, about it. No doubt about it. Um, another thing that you say that I really like is this, you say the day after perfect separates the starters from the finishers. It's a pretty powerful statement. Can you explain it a little bit? Well, yeah, the funny thing is we're always surprised. Like we think this will be the year we do a perfect streak and go like 365 for 365. Yeah. Like I, we're, and maybe it's that we don't talk about it enough, but the day after perfect is the day after the thing didn't work. It's the day after you skipped the gym, you ate the cheesecake, you, yeah. you know, you smoked another cigarette, whatever it is, the thing you're trying to do, it's the day after that. And I think one, we don't talk about it enough. Two, we never come up with a plan for it. And so what happens is you get stuck with kind of streak thinking. I just met so many people, myself included, over and over that would say, um, I went to the gym 11 days in a row. And then on day 12, I messed up and I never went back again. Hmm. And you go, but you had 11 days where you were like, you had even started to enjoy it a little bit. Like there was no, I mean, I can look from where I'm sitting right now in my home office and look at 30 half started like moleskin notebooks and or like there's this german brand i like now even more but i can't pronounce it but it's like i go this is gonna be my serious thoughts notebook and then i write like 18 pages and then i i like i want to write something funny so i write something funny i'm like ah screw it this whole thing's wrecked and then i go buy another one (laughs) and so that idea of i really think that matters is the day after perfect is where you go, yeah, yesterday didn't go how I wanted. It it just didn't. But guess what? Mm. Today is a new day and I'm going to I'm going to, you know, start my thing and I'm not starting over like I'm starting mm. on day 13. Like I had a good, good five days or and so I think that's really important and just part of beating perfectionism is admitting you're going to have a day after perfect. Like and yeah. when you think about it logically, it's insane that we think, "No, I'm not." Like yeah. I can do a, I can from here until death, like I'm probably going to knock it out. Like it's going to be pretty good. And you go, no, it's more about like giving yourself permission to fail, forgiving yourself, being kind to yourself. Um, and, and those are, those are not popular things to talk about in goal setting. I think we think we have to be perfect in order to sell the book or sell the thing, mm-hmm. but then that doesn't really help people. So I like to live in the tension of like, I want to encourage you. I want to be positive. I want to give you lots of tools. I'm a, I'm a, like a hype person. Like I'm a seven, like I'm high energy, but I also don't want to send you down a path that doesn't actually work. And so that's the tension is going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. This is gonna be fun. This is gonna be good. We're gonna, we're gonna work hard at it. But also when it messes up, we're gonna forgive ourselves and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna work on it. Yep. There's literally no other path through. I I don't know when we lost our resiliency. Uh, I'm not sure that our parents' generation had the same sort of crippling just tendency to catastrophize whatever went awry for one day or even one week. I mean, let's just, let's live in a real world. That that does not mean that there's not a place to kind of reenter the story. And I, I sense that in my own self, that I can really just think, oh, forget it. Just, it's so silly. I don't know whoever taught us that, but, um, I appreciate that part of your instruction there is to say it on the front end. There will be a day that this goes sideways. Yeah. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's just go ahead and put it on the table. The, what's interesting about that is in some aspects of life, we're okay with the idea that it might not be perfect. Like an example that would be, um, football. We have a thing called it's a rebuilding year. When we there's a new coach, we don't expect that year to be amazing. There we might not even expect three years to be amazing. And you go, eh, hey, yeah, I mean, with the Cleveland Browns, we lost a bunch of games, and now we lost slightly less. That was a pretty good year. So right. it's like, why can't we as humans go? It's a rebuilding year. That's good. And, and like, we won't even get ourselves a rebuilding week. 
Um, and they go, it's a, it's a rebuild. I'm going to drink so much water. Like that'll do it. I'm going to drink like a thousand ounces of water a day. And that should, that should go ahead and take care of it. And, <laughs> and like, there's all these promises. And like the only one that's fulfilled is like, you go to the bathroom all the time. All the time. All the time. And you wonder why you are have you to doing carry this? water around. Like that's the other thing. Like, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> we don't understand that nobody in the 1990s brought their own water places. Like that's a great point. A meeting that, and came with a jug. It was like, no offense. <laughs> I get very thirsty. And I don't know if this meeting was going to have water, but now I have my water, so, so I'll be true. fine. And it's trendy, too. I mean, hand of the heavens. When our kids and all of their stockings, you know, we have five kids. Everyone, every one of them got an outsized personal Yeti, like sure. not a little one, a huge one, yeah. that they can now decorate with their stickers because that's a thing. Yeah. And so it's, it's trendy. It's on we brand. We have so many at our house. Every time I do an event, my kids are like, did you get a cooler? Did you get a water <laughs> vessel? Um, okay, so another, um, I'm, I'm laughing. I wish you could see how many um, water vessels we have. It's stupid. Um, another piece of advice in Finnish, speaking of, which this is so in my alley, cut your goal in half. So that might be some of the most underrated advice I've ever heard. And I think to a lot of people listening, it might sound like cheating or like coming up short. So what what's the benefit to that, to lowering the bar perhaps? Or how, how would you talk about cut your goal in half? Here's what I'd say. Um, if you feel like cheating, you're probably on the border of being kind to yourself. Mm. If you feel like you're lazy, you're probably on the border of being kind to yourself, especially in the context of a goal. And, and here's what I mean by that. A lot of people will go, okay, John, I'm gonna start running. I'll go, that's great. And go, yeah, I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a marathon. And I go, well, have you, have you done a half marathon or right. a 10K or a 5K, even just a K? And they go, no, right. I'm going to go to Kona tomorrow and do the Ironman. <laughs> and we think, That's we believe point. this kind of myth of like aim for the, like the moon because even if you'll fail, you'll land amongst the stars. And that sounds amazing on mugs and Instagram, mm-hmm. but it's just not, it doesn't work out that way. And, and here's right. why. If people try to lose 10 pounds and they only lose eight, they don't feel like they almost got there. They feel like they failed by That's two. true. And they, And they give up. And so we, you know, me and the researcher said, we're going to get the focus group to cut their goals in half. And so I essentially said, if your goal is to lose 10, I dare you to lose five. Aim for five. Because I knew what would happen is that when you lost eight, which was the same eight, you won by three and would try again. And so, like, my big thing is most people don't have New New Year's resolutions. They have January resolutions. And, by, and the, you know, I, I the joke I always do, which is just true, is I asked a cashier at the Publix near our house, when do people stop their diets? And she said, third week of January. Uh-huh. And I said, how do you know? And she said, that's when we stopped selling salad. And, <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that true? So yeah. my big thing, I care more about your February than I do your January. I care that's more good. about your March than I do your February. So we asked people to cut their goals in half, and they were 63% more successful. No way. Now, what I think wow. is interesting is that, that's one like really indicative of how bad we are at the initial process of coming up with a goal. Mm. We go, it took me 10 years to put on this weight. I'm going to lose it in the next like six weeks. Like (laughs) I gave myself a decade to gain it, but now my expectation and the gaining part, by the way, was very easy. All it involved was eating. Like that's the easiest thing in the world. The losing part is hard. Why is the losing part so much shorter in our minds than the gaining part or like, coming out of debt, all these things. And so I love that, especially in the context of personal goals. When it comes to like a corporate goal, it's different in that the goal is already set, but you've had wisdom go into it. See, that's the Mm -hmm. problem. Like a corporation uses analytics and data and reality and spreadsheets and they still stretch, but it's a really refined goal. The average person that's listening right now goes, I don't feel good about my body, so maybe 30 pounds. And the, the mm. number comes out of like the heavens. And you go, well, what, yeah. like, have you done that before? Like, did, did a doctor uh-huh. tell you that? Do you have a plan? What are the steps? And they go, no, that's just, you know, I saw somebody on Instagram, they lost mm-hmm. that amount, and I was like, I could do that. Or so I, I weighed that in eighth grade. That's what a bunch of us like, say. I want to get back to like my wedding dress. And you go, right. you want to go, were you happy? Mm. Like, where, like, did you kill yourself to get into the dress? Yeah. Like, and 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 maybe you didn't, but maybe you did, and you'd go, "Oh, you're right." Like yeah. those last six weeks, like 
I lost Nightmare. stress weight. Like yeah. I, I like that contributed to it. That's a bad goal. So I think when I say cut your goal in half, I really want you to be kinder to yourself, but also be honest about the goal and you know and what like what does the next four weeks really look like? Mm-hmm. Well, like if you're about to go to Disney, don't make a weight loss goal. Like like mm-hmm. that's the dumbest. Like nobody likes the person. Like I know I'm on vacation, but I really need to find superfoods. Right. Um, you like no one wants the person in that you know animal kingdom going, where's your like your special keto menu you know, like, turbo kato totally. like turbo kato is a thing now because regular kato is too slow like that's stressful I love what we do to ourselves so stressful um that's that's really great advice i um i work with a lot of aspiring writers you do too and i they will periodically say things to me like I'm starting from scratch and I really want to have this done in, in two months. I'm like, what planet are you living on? Like, that's unrealistic. That is the craziest thing I ever heard. And, but it just, there's something that almost feels, um, there's a bit of a pride in setting an absurd goal, uh, almost as if we have some sort of superhuman power to get to it, which we don't. And then the disappointment is even worse. And so, um, cut your goal in half is really smart. Hey guys, Jen breaking in to make a quick recommendation while we're on the topic of good change. So as a writer and creative myself, I know how easy it is to fall into like working in a vacuum when I'm trying to get a project done isn't the best way or time for me to, I don't know, expand my perspective or help me grow in my craft, which is why I love Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators, for creatives of any kind. So with more than 25,000 classes in design and business, writing, social media, photography, so much more. You can discover, honestly, endless ways to fuel your curiosity um, or your creativity or even the career you already have. So you can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a very awesome offer just for my listeners. You can get two months of Skillshare for free. Skillshare is offering the For the Love community two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for absolutely free. So to sign up, this is how all you have to do. Go to Skillshare.com slash For the Love. Okay, that's it. That's the link you need. Skillshare.com slash For the Love to start your free two months right now. This is a good investment in you, in your work, in your creativity, and in your dreams. So Skillshare.com slash For the Love. Okay, back to our show. I think you kind of mentioned this earlier, but I I want you to talk a little bit more about it because you say one of the most insidious ways we sabotage ourselves is with what you call our secret rules. Um, And we actually all have them, uh, even if we can't even name them all or even know that we have them. That's why they're they're that secret. Um, So can you talk about how we discover what our secret rules are and how we get over them? Yeah, well, um, the the example I always use, um, and I use it in the book, is from nature, and it involves the cuckoo bird, which is a real bird, not just in clocks. And a cuckoo is what's known as a parasitic brood, which means when it's going to have a baby, it doesn't build a nest. It finds another bird who's already built a nest, and there's already eggs in there, and it puts its egg in there. And it has a faster incubation cycle than all the other eggs. It hatches first and kills every other egg in the nest. The mother bird, which isn't even its mother, ends up dying often from exhaustion from feeding this gigantic species. Like if you go onto Google and put cuckoo bird parasitic, like you'll see the craziest photos of a really tiny bird feeding this Jabba the Hutt bird. And I relate that to the lies we believe that over time, as we fed them time and energy and creativity have grown really huge in the nests of our lives, but they're just not true. So an example of that would be when I work with executives, um, I would say 95% of what I get to do is travel around the country and speak to sales teams and executives right. and leaders. I'll also often meet executives that'll go, I've got this new opportunity. 
Um, but it, it requires me to be creative and I'm just not creative. And what they're saying is when I was 12, a teacher told me my art wasn't good. So I believe that, and I've believed it for 30 years. And so now when I get opportunities that are like that, I pull back and I don't even know why I'm pulling back. Um, or one of mine would be, it needs to be faster. Like what mm. the everything, what speed mm -hmm. faster than what you're currently doing. If it takes mm. you an hour to do that single paragraph, it should have taken you four minutes and you go, mm. okay. And I don't know, you know, you go, well, where did I pick that up? Who first told me that? And so part of the work of this is that this is where self-sabotage kind of comes in. You'll have people that will get the boat back to the harbor and then sink it right before it docks because they're afraid of the success. Right. Like maybe they had a mom, maybe they had a mom who used to say the phrase must be nice. Like when they mm. saw somebody in a certain type of car or a certain type of house would go, oh, must be nice. And it wasn't yeah. a compliment. It was right. must be nice to be so greedy or must be uh. nice to have things so easy. So then you see the kid successful and the success, like it's like, oh, it burns the skin. Like you can't yes. even sit in it. You'd rather hmm. like and then you add insecurity that if you have that negative loop where you feel like you're not good or you're not worthy. Mm -hmm. Criticism is a confirmation of how you already feel. A compliment sure. is hack because it's against what you tr believe to be about yourself. And so mm. there's all this self-sabotage. Um, I would say that when somebody tells you they want to write a book in two months, often that's this interesting form of self-sabotage because what happens is they really know it's impossible. And when they mm -hmm. fail, they'll say, well, I just didn't have enough time. It's not that I'm not a good writer yet. It's mm. not other things that are sensitive. The calendar, it was to blame, not me. And right. so if they gave themselves a year and really had the time to step in it and be patient and thoughtful and detailed and do the hard work of a year, then it would challenge them. And so, mm -hmm. We set like that's what secret rules are, and so I think one way you get around them, like a, like the simplest way, is to be in relationship. I I personally think a hundred percent self awareness is is a joke. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can ever be a hundred percent self aware because, regardless of what you do, you're so close to the painting of your life you can't even tell what it is. And we mm -hmm. need people that are ten feet back that can go. Hey, I know you keep saying that, but I just don't think that's true of you. Like, here's what I see. Like two days ago, I was saying, oh, I don't know about this one thing I'm going to do. Like, I just, I'm not a good teacher. Like I said that a couple of times. Mm -hmm. This person was like, well, I did that thing you did. And it was really helpful. It's the reason I wrote my book. So I didn't mm. away from that thinking you're a bad teacher. That was actually really helpful, you know? And so like, I, you know, my insecurity was saying one thing and she would, this person was saying, well, if the proof of a good teacher is if the student actually did something after, I'm actually a student, I did something okay. after, here's the truth. And so I think a big part of figuring out your secret rules is to say, okay, to a friend, hey, here's mm -hmm. this thing I'm thinking about. I think the other thing is just to go slower. Like to not, you know, like if somebody moves a meeting, say you have a meeting and you get a text message and they go, hey, I can't do that time, what about this time? If you react out of like, how dare they change my day? or like mm -hmm. they're ruining my schedule, or I'm not gonna be able to get what I need to get done, I think you pause and go, wait a second, like why am I reacting that way? Mm -hmm. Like why, you know, is it that I don't wanna be flexible because I've been taken advantage of before, this feels like a micro act of being taken advantage of, and I need to really be careful about that in my life, and, and so I think that's one of the big things where if you don't start to kind of work on this stuff, all the best goal setting techniques in the world don't matter because you'll, mm. you'll lose the 10 pounds and you'll be just as unhappy. And then you, yeah. and then you gain 12 back. And it's not that like you wait until you've worked on this stuff. Like you don't fix this stuff. Like that's the other thing. Like you work on it, you come up with tools. Like I want to give my kids tools for when they're not in my house. Not that I won't make them bulletproof. Like I, I can't, like I, you know, I have two daughters. I know my goal with my yeah. daughter, one of them is they're so full of love that when the world bumps them, they don't empty. And mm. so it's not that the world will never bump them. And it's not that I'll raise that's them right. in a way that they're, they, they're, they're invulnerable to criticism. Like that's not happening. Like, right. like that's not how we work. And so I think that's a big part of secret rules. Um, yeah, golly, I'm doing my mental inventory right now. I've got several. And to your point, it is almost always my people who correct it for me. It's, it's very rarely, um, just a, a sense of internal maturity that overcomes yeah, my secret yeah, rule. Very yeah, rarely. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's somebody else saying you are full of nonsense. 
Like that is, you know, it's invented. You're making that up. That has no basis in reality. Um, and I think that human proximity is, you're nailing that. Um, I, I would also want to talk about this time is obviously our hottest commodity, our most precious resource. We can't make any more of it. And almost everybody that I talk to, it, it just feels like that, that is that is a constraint that most of the women that I speak to cite time, time, time. Um, so you say, as it comes, as it relates to how much, how many hours we have in a day, choose what to bomb. So can you talk about choosing what to bomb and, um, and, and even bridge it forward to in that, how, how do you think our need to do it all in the amount of time that we have, um, connects to shame? Yeah. I mean, I think that, Part of it is um, you're not supposed to do it all. Like you have to start from there where you go, okay, I, I can't. Like the expectation might be there, but I, I just can't. And when I try to do it all, none of it's enjoyable. I, I think about it this way. If somebody said, I'm going to try to learn Spanish, I'd go, that's great. If they said, I'm going to try to learn seven languages at once, I'd say, right. well, that, that's, that's not going to work. That's that's not how it's going to be. And so I think one of my favorite examples of in the book was a working mom. And the working mom said, and these are just such true examples. She said, when I'm in a busy season at work, the kids know the clothes get clean, but not folded and put away. She has a laundry chair. We all have a laundry chair. It's like your third machine. Of course. Um, and she said, the kids pick clothes off of there. And I love that from a kid's perspective, he's like, oh, I'm really wrinkled. Mom must be busy. Um, mm. She said, when I'm busy, it's not that I can't not, I can't refuse to feed them like they mm. eat. It's just that the meals are really simple. And I give mm. myself permission for it to be pizza and hot dogs. And so I think that's a really powerful thing to go. I'm in the middle of a really busy season. So yeah. something has to give. Like it's going to be my sanity mm-hmm. or it's that like, there's these three things that during another normal season, I'll do them and I'll focus on them then. And that's that's OK. I mean. There, I think you, you know, the, the myth is that you can like go off and be in a, you know, do a sabbatical for six months by yourself and that'll fix everything. But like who's no, most people's lives don't have that luxury. Right. Nobody. Um, I think the, the, the greater reality is you go, okay, I'm going to forgive myself ahead of time for not getting these five things done. Like here's Mm. the flip. So you go, wow. I look at my week, like, I want to do 20 things. The reality is I can do seven and maybe, maybe I get 10, but I'm going to do seven. So then you say, I'm not going to worry about these other 10. And -hmm. then in the middle of the week, when shame goes, you're not doing those other 10, you go, I know. Thank you for noticing. I I put them down at the middle of the week. I receive that as a compliment (laughs) versus I try to do them all. And shame goes, you're failing. You go, I am, I'm a failure. And so I think that's like, it's such an interesting kind of reverse approach um, to say, cause like most of the time we go, here's how to be more productive. Like here's how to get a 25th hour of your day and you go right. like, and you've got to do these 42 or like, I always, it always cracks me up that we have things like five minute children's books where right. it's like for faster connecting <laughs> with your child. And you go like, you know, it, like my version of that would be, it would be foolish of me during a speaking season to hold myself to the same standard of interaction with my kids as I do when I'm home. That would be really unfair to me um, to think, okay, I'm in, you know, I'm in California. I'm a different time zone. I'm not seeing them. They're teenagers. So it's not like they're like, hey, I'd love to talk on the phone for like half an hour. That'd be great. Versus when I'm home and I can take a walk around the neighborhood with one of my daughters and ask them, how was school? What was that about? Like, I don't hold myself to those same standards. Now, do Mm -hmm. I try to be, you know, as connected as I can be? I do. But I think the season has to change the standards. And sometimes we have a hard time admitting that um, and putting things down. I um, That sort of approach has changed my working life for sure. Um, and again, you're running this thread through a lot of your counsel, which is expectations. Um, and it's that appropriate mindset at the beginning of the thing. Um, instead of either the messy middle or the shame-based ending that didn't come out right, um, that it, it really does matter. Uh, it sounds like a really simple f- switch to flip, but I think that's the setting of the expectations. I'm going to 
this is all that will realistically fit in. It, it really is the difference between sort of feeling vibrant in the season you're in and just feeling mired in guilt. It, it, I, that's exactly the way that we try to structure our household because our work is real seasonal and weird like yours. Yeah. Um, you alluded to it being no fun a second ago. So making your goal fun is another one of your suggestions that could potentially sound like cheating for our like do better, try harder culture. Um, and you know, it's all supposed to be hard and it's supposed to hurt. And it's, you know, there are sayings that we say like that. Just, um, sleep when you're dead. Yeah. I was just trying to reach for one. That's a perfect one. Um, so I wonder what, how would you unpack this for us? What would you, what would you suggest about making goals fun and why that is a valuable approach? Yeah, this was my favorite part of the book, I think, because it was counterintuitive. I I love to take things we commonly say and then see if they're true. And if they are, awesome. If they're not, like, shame on us for pushing them that hard. Like, let's do the opposite if if the opposite is true. So I wanted to figure out, does having fun matter in the context of a goal? Um, And like you said, it's because most of the time, especially in America, we think a goal has to be miserable to count. Uh So if you ask the average person, name five words you think of when you think of goal, they say willpower, discipline, Uh hustle, sacrifice, persistence. Like they never say joy, laughter, fulfillment, engagement. Um, And we do that corporately. We do that with our exercise goals. I mean, there's people listening right now that are running and hate to run. Yep. And and, and like you see them on the side of the street and they look like they're having the worst part of their day. (laughs) But they think that like, that's how I know it's good for me because I despise it. Yeah. And so when you study um, goals, you look at two factors, you look at satisfaction and you look at performance. Like those are the two things you look at and a good principle, whether it's mine or anybody else's should raise both of those. And it has to raise both because if I only raise your satisfaction, but not your performance, you're smiling all the way to last place. You're like, yay, I'm failing. If I only raise your performance but not your satisfaction, you're every rich, miserable person you've ever met. Totally. Like we've all met somebody who was really successful but really unhappy. It's because they crushed performance and they never cared about their satisfaction, their heart side That's of good. it. So we asked the people in the group to make what they do fun and there was a huge increase. There was a 31% increase in um satisfaction but that one's kind of obvious like of course it's more satisfied to do satisfying to do something fun than not fun but the crazy thing they were 43 percent no 46 percent more uh higher performing like they they performed better because of that now the pushback is always well not every goal is fun and that's Hmm. true like i think we do this next generation a great disservice by saying always follow your heart always sure your joy the second it's not fulfilling your purpose it must be the wrong thing that's right I like I love my job. On the outside, a lot of people would go, "You have a dream job. You get to write books." Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, last fall, last uh, February, I went and spoke to the NFL Players Association because they teach my book Do Over about career transition. Like, that's amazing. Sure. But there's a lot of parts of my job that are really hard that I don't want to do. Like, we're in tax season. Like, I hate that so much. Like, yeah. doing like quarterly taxes. Like, and when my wife says, "Hey, I want to talk about taxes," I hear. You're not providing enough as a man. Uh, and she right. has not said that. Whatever's right. the first quote, that's the one I go to. Yeah. So it's not about having fun. It's about making it fun and about being deliberate. And then this is a way longer answer than you wanted. No, no, uh, I do. I keep going. The two types that um, we study are reward and fear or reward and consequence. And, and we hear the word fear. We think a negative all the time. I mean consequence. So an example is. If you ever got something done on a Thursday because you had a Friday deadline, you benefited from the positive impact of a consequence. Uh-huh. And so most people will be motivated by one of those two things, often by both. If you go to a financial planner and he, she knows you're a reward person, she says if you get your money in order, you'll be able to retire to Florida or drive around the country in an RV. If she knows you're a consequence person, she does the reverse. She goes, hey, if you don't get your money in order, your kids might not be able to go to college. Like It's going to be challenging. You're going to have to work longer than you want and kind of helps you understand that. So in my life, I kind of you know, for my goals, I need to do the work of going, do I need a little reward or do I need a little consequence? Do I need Mm. a little reward? So like a reward example of that would be, there's a guy in the book named Steve, really interesting guy. He's got this huge jacuzzi bathtub. And he said, I decided that every time I was going to, um, 
like every time I wanted to use the jacuzzi, I had to do one of the things on my wife's to-do list for, that she had for me around the house. He said, it takes about 15 minutes to fill up. It was a perfect time to change a light bulb or whatever. And he said, I do that so often that now I can't get into the bathtub without doing that. And hmm. it's become this little reward and it's not massive. The extreme version is a friend of mine, his business coach said, give me three signed checks and every time you miss your goal, I'm gonna send the politician you hate the most some of your money. And you better believe <laughs> my friend was like, over my dead body, like no way. And so part of it, like the flip side of that is you do it with your kids, like you figure out what motivates your kids, you do it with your employees. like. Every manager's had a situation where they tried to motivate somebody with the wrong form of motivation and it yeah. kills you because you're trying to say like, hey, here's this thing. And if they don't care about it, they don't even they don't even move. Same with a kid. If you've got a kid who's an introvert and you're like, you're in trouble, go to your room. They're like, right. oh, no. Like, oh, what, shoot. What? Yeah. If you have an extrovert, that's a very different punishment. Good point. So you start to add those elements to things that suck. Like. Mm. You don't have to add them to things you already enjoy. Like I have yeah. to add them to things I don't want to do that I go, oh, this is the worst. I'm going to add a little motivation. I'm, it's going to help you know, push me over the edge and, and here's how. And I'm going to have fun doing it. And I know this doesn't happen often because I've never had a manager that said, okay, here are your goals for the year, but hold on. Are they fun enough? Like right. there's enough fun baked in? Like right. that's not – nobody says that. And so You're like right. that was a – realizing that and having some data around that was this huge gift and made me go, oh, okay, like that, you know, like that makes sense. And, and of course, and now I get to go to companies that do serious work, but I, I help them find the fun approach to that. And it's mm. really interesting to see, see them like light up, but also not in a cheesy way. Like right. it's cheesy if I just go, Jen, you gotta have fun. You gotta see the positive side of doing right. taxes. It's like, just no, a word like, salad reward yourself like yeah. do something that you'd actually enjoy like you know like i when i finished the manuscript because like finishing it right starting a manuscript is awesome finishing mm. it terrible and so yeah. i said i finish totally. it i get to buy myself a pair of ski boots and oh, like nice i could have bought them before they're not crazy expensive but i made that a reward, reward that met me at the mm. end of a finish line um yeah that's just working with our human nature and building in some incentives is just so smart. And uh, let me ask you this. Some of us are not great at measuring sort of progress. You've, you've, you've alluded to that a little bit too. So we, we live in our head and then we're frustrated when the reality we're working on is not matching like the beautiful, perfect dream that we constructed and invented inside of our brains. Um, so tell us how uh, the way that you collect data when you're in the middle of a project when you're in the middle of a goal. Um, and why is setting, well, your personal standard to better instead of best, like a, a healthier place to put your goalposts? Yeah, well, I mean, you're gonna iterate it. So like most things in life aren't completely forever finished. Like you're gonna write maybe more than one book. You're like the mm -hmm. laundry is never finished. And so like part of it is like, you gotta admit some things aren't ever completely finished and that's that's okay. I think that the key is to make it simple. If you say, okay, I'm not measuring anything and starting tomorrow I'm gonna bullet journal like 40 hundred things mm -hmm. and I'm gonna illustrate it with brush pins from Japan and it's gonna <laughs> be gorgeous. I, like, right. You're not gonna do that. I think a better thing to say is, okay, I can't force the progress. Like I can't force it the way I want it to but I can measure the amount of time I'm putting into it. So hmm. like, I, I measure, I no longer measure words written. I measure um, either like time spent, time spent like mm -hmm. hours. Wow, I put four hours in the book this week. I can feel really good about that. Because words, I edit them, I move them around. Like the sure. measuring of it's really complicated. If it's complicated, you won't do it. So I think even if you said, okay, I, you know, I just want, I want you to use data so that when shame tries to tell you a lie, you have the truth. Mm -hmm. So your emotions in the middle will go like one of the things that like your emotions always tell you is it was easier last time. Like, uh, you lost the weight so much faster last yeah. time. It's easier last time. And if you don't have data, you can't go, what are you talking about? I had to run like 40 times. Yeah. I had to go like 50 Pilates classes. Like I did yeah. pure bar until I thought my leg was going to fall off. Like, and I want you to have that so that you have the truth of data. Like the, and, and the thing I say always is like data kills denial, which prevents disaster. Mm. So the data will go, no, like, nope. 
I, that's not true. Like here's, here's what really happened. And so I think you take your goal and you go, what's the easiest thing I could measure that I'll actually do? Like I won't actually measure 10 things, but can I on a piece of paper, maybe every other day, write down, here's three things I felt good about that I put toward my goal. Or like here's, and then the other, like the other kind of trick is you measure against where you started, not where you're trying to end. So when you say you have a hundred step goal, if you're at step 40 and you go and you look at a hundred, you're an F a 40 mm. out of a hundred is an F yeah. like, who's going to feel good about that. If you look backward and go, I was a zero. Now I'm uh, a 40. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's great. A, but we tend to look ahead and then worse than that, we move it. Like we move the hundred. So it, it's course. eternally away from us and you go, Okay, well, like I've, you know, like I, you know, I can look at the book I'm working on and go, here's some prog, you know, I didn't have anything on this day. And now, like three months later, I'm, I'm at this section. And I want to, and I think it's helpful, like if you're within 80 to 90% of your goal done, the finish line is encouraging. Like there's this thing that happens at mile 25 for a race where you're like, you get some momentum, but it doesn't happen at mile 19. It doesn't happen at mile 16. You're like, this is the dumbest thing in the world. People shouldn't have let me signed up for this. I hate this. I hate them. Like, but by the, towards the end of it, it's okay to look towards the finish line. But most of the time I'm telling people like, look at where you started and how far you've come. That's exciting. So in this series, we are asking every guest these kind of rapid fires. Um, so just kind of top of your head. Uh, here's the first one. What's the best small change you've ever made in your life? Like just a small dial that you turned. Big impact. Um, small. I would say, ooh, remembering I love to ski. Ah. I didn't do it for like 12 years. And a therapist told me I was terrible at having fun. Um, you <laughs> and know, you're a seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Discredit to your number. I know. And so I really started to say, like, it's okay to do that. It's not easy from Nashville, but I'm going to actively try to ski more and yeah. admit that I like it. And I grew up in New England and grew up doing it. And so I'm sure. going gonna, gonna to plug back into that. And it's mattered. Yeah, I went to Austria last year. It was amazing. Oh, my gosh. That's a good decision. Okay, how about this? What is one positive thing that you do every day? Mm. Well, I mean, for me, drinking coffee is pretty positive. Same. Um, I love the ritual of it. I'm not like, I'm not doing a pour over that has like 19 steps. Like all my friends who are super into coffee always shame me. And they're like, you're missing the hills of Guatemala and the rich (laughs) texture. I, I don't even care. I just don't, I don't, it would like for me to have to be a chemist would remove all the joy. Um, (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I'd say coffee every day. Oh, I love that answer. Here's the last one. And then we ask every guest this every series. It, this could be serious or not serious. It's just whatever you have. Um, it's Barbara Brown Taylor. What is saving your life right now? Um, what is saving my life right now? I want to say there's a couple things. I think going slower, mm. um, listening, uh, listening to the right things. Um, and then I would, I would say running. Like I, yeah, I know I rip on that. running a lot, but like, man, I need those endorphins. And so yeah. doing that. And then I would say my wife, my wife calls, yeah, me, she's calls me back to the middle. I tend to live on the edges and that's, there's just disaster on the edges. Like, <laughs> and so she calls me back to the middle. Um, yes. and so that's, I would say all, all of those, um, are, yeah. And again, like, I can't say, I can't speak highly enough of the war of art audiobook. Like, I love it. And it's, and again, it's, it's George Goodell. It's my favorite character of one of my favorite books telling me the war of art. And it's just, man, is it good? If you think I'm not going to download that, you are wrong. It so, is so good. Well, I know you've got a convert right here. Um, all right. And for everybody listening, we'll have all that linked over at the, at the, um, on the, tra- on the transcript. Um, Hey, thanks for coming on today. I just, I'm so happy that you did. I was so looking forward to talking to you and I sat here. I don't know if you could hear it on the microphone, but I was just scribbling away, taking notes. Well, I can't wait to see the transcript. That was yeah, fun. I know, right? Like, I think we both said a lot of words. I said a lot more, <laughs> but I was excited. I'm no one has ever accused either of us of being, um, sparse. Uh, with our language. All right. On that note, um, thanks for being on today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. I loved that whole conversation. In so many ways, a lot of the things that John talked about reminds me of my 
episode with Hillary McBride, who talked to us about jettisoning body shame and body negativity and spent such an amazing hour teaching us how to like love and care for our bodies with just nurture. And, um, and John sort of applies a lot of those same ideas to all these like dreams that we have walking around. It's, it's kind. I I think that's the word I'm looking for. It just feels kind. It feels, um, generous and it feels reasonable. And it's not a bunch of inflated expectations with low simmering shame, but rather like just like a really good friend cheering you on. So I mentioned it, but I'll have all of this as always over at jenhatmaker.com underneath the podcast tab. Amanda builds out an amazing transcript page for you every single week. Gosh, I hope you guys are using it. I mean, it is full of pictures that we, that sort of support the, the conversation we're having. We have additional resources. We have quote cards. Um, every single thing that we mentioned is linked, including all the social media sites for the, for my guests. And so do go over there and use it. We will have, um, John's book and all of his recommendations and all of his socials, um, linked over there for sure. And I hope that you are enjoying the series. You guys, I am just like, it is filling my tank. Um, and I actually wish it was longer. So we still have more to come. Um, and I promise you, I'm not bringing anybody to the series that does not have your best good in mind, just your heart and your soul, your marriages, your careers and relationships and dreams. And I'm not, I'm bringing in no bullies. These are good hearted, kind hearted leaders, I think who have so much to teach us. And I hope that you're learning as much as I am. All right, you guys, um, that's it for this week. And I will see you next time here at the show. Thanks you guys for stopping by. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.